and welcome to the Good Job Podcast with me, Simon Harris. The podcast where we explore the wonderful, wacky and sometimes bewildering world of work. Welcome to episode two. This week's guest is Jack Eames. Now I met Jack on a shoot we were both working on the sort of tail end of last year and uh, we hit it off straight away. Here's a little bit about Jack which I've taken from his website. With a career in beauty photography spanning 16 years, Jack has built a vast portfolio of commercial and personal work. As well as guest lecturing on photography for Central St. Martins, shooting the cover of AOP magazine, and working for prominent industry clients such as Weller and Vogue, Jack has recently published a book of his personal photo documentary project with UK charity Haircuts for Homeless, who work to provide practical care for those experiencing homelessness. Now we discussed all of that and, and loads more as well in the podcast and uh, it was really lovely chatting to Jack actually. He's got a really warm and approachable demeanour and you know I feel like we could have chatted all day. He's such a great chap. Um, I just want to say thanks again to Simon Carroll at Wave Studios for putting us up. Uh, it's really lovely for Wave to put us up, you know, and, and to be amongst all the sort of high-flying directors and actors they have swarming around that place. And, and it's really nice of them to just let us let us do our little podcast. So thanks again, Simon, and thanks again, Wave. Right, I'll be back at the end for uh, a bit of a wrap-up. But uh, here we go with uh, podcast number two and Jack Eames. Cool. Okay, so uh, Jack, Jack Eames, um, is that how you say it? Jack it is. Eames, yeah, yeah. Uh, welcome to the Good Job Podcast. It's Thank a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And you are a photographer. Yep. Um, can you just, I mean, is it as if uh, people know what a photographer is, but there's all different types, isn't there? And could you just describe to us in your own words what it is you do? Okay, um, big hit straight off. Um, so... I take pictures, I, I, but there's a lot of pre-production that we do beforehand. I'm sure it's the same in your gig as well. So yeah, people hire me to take a set of stills over one day, several days, anything from, yeah, anything. I mean, I mainly work in hair and beauty. We shoot a little bit of fashion, so we could do some editorial, campaigns for brands like Tony and Guy and things, L'Oreal, um, pack shots, um, advertorial, and yeah, so th- that's basically what I do. So your, so Hair and Beauty, your photographs will end up, when you say editorial, will end up in like, what, GQ magazine, um, magazines online, yeah. ha- or on big billboards, how, how would people have... So your photos yeah all three really um i don't really shoot anything for mags like gq if our stuff runs in mags it'll be things like vogue l um you know advertorials in there um billboards we you know we get a few of them one of ours last ones mid last year was for a lovely um skin brand so that was just quite mad traveling you know across London on the tube and seeing it on those big posters you know the big ones on the tunnels downstairs or up above and things like that I don't know it's just um it's just quite a buzz yeah that must be great because I mean that is really because you would never you, you would you see it on you might be able to see it on a very large monitor I suppose when you finished all your editing or retouching or whatever yeah um but you would never s- <laughs> it's one of one of those things where you would never see it on the billboard until it's on the billboard <laughs> exactly and yeah. it's always a bit of a shock um <laughs> because you've seen things that big that visceral um but you know it's always anchored with some text and some nice layout and things but it's definitely a buzz <laughs> Do you mind just taking us back um, to the beginning? You know, how did you get into? You know, when did you sort of first decide you wanted to be a photographer, or did you? Were you doing something else? How did it? How, what was the process for you? Yeah, long, big question because I, I you know, I had a, an unusual entry into photography, um, or more to the point, unconventional. Um, I try and keep it snappy, so I studied late, basically. I left school at 16 with no qualifications, right. 
didn't enjoy school, wanted to leave school as soon as I could and actually had a job before I did my GCSEs. And then I traveled, um, I'm 48 now, so that was what, um, coming up to, gosh, not great at maths either, um, <laughs> you know, 30 odd, you know, 28, 30 years ago, did a, a year around the world. Oh, cool. And um, certainly back then, it seemed much more common than it sort of currently is. And obviously I'm aware of various things that is limiting that currently in terms yeah. of obviously um, university fees and you know everything around that. So yeah, I just worked really hard, saved money, traveled. And during my time when I was away, there was this course called Media Studies. Obviously everybody knows about Media Studies now, but back then I just felt from meeting people and just hanging out, there was a chance for me to study something that I would actually enjoy and was hands-on and very creative, but with the opportunity to not just dial down into one thing at that stage. So I did a BTEC in Media Studies. Cool. Two years, came out with, um, you know, the highest merits um, that that course had had. And so I was really proud of that. And then went to university and I actually studied film studies, which would be something really interesting for you and I. Yeah, that's what I studied. I did film studies, yeah. I'm sure, yeah. yeah. Looking at your films and your <laughs> background. And, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. I really enjoyed it, actually. It was, um, I don't know what your course was like, but mine wasn't one of those like fully practical you know film school learn how to be a filmmaker ones it was like I did a I did one of my A levels was English which I was I got you know it was my best grade at A level and it was kind of similar you know we were taking texts you know what you know what you do in English and just at, in f at film studies we were taking films and we were we were writing about them so I don't know what uh, I don't know what it was like for you at doing film studies and what, when was, would that have been the 90s late 90s so that would have been let me just do uh, I graduated I think 2002 okay um I'll need to double check that so, <laughs> yeah, so yeah. 99 2001 that sort of time t turn of this turn of the yeah, I think so. And I'll need to double, yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, I, like I said, I studied film studies and yeah. it sounded quite like what your course was mm. in terms of, you know, taking films, taking texts. Yeah. Um, and I really needed and wanted to get hands on. So I see, right. I actually stopped after a year and right. went into photojournalism. Okay. Um, because I had this real sort of burning. Thing deep inside me to do social commentary, work work in social commentary, and that sort of felt like it was going to help me down that path. So I, I I was at a point in my life. I think I went to uni when I was what I don't know um, about twenty six. So everybody was there, eighteen, partying, um, and I just wanted to get my head down. Yeah. Just you know, like yeah. I said, I didn't like school. I didn't fit in. I had this one opportunity when I was older to really drill down and I studied hard. Yeah, you know, I partied, but very, very little. <laughs> really? um, and, you know, I found uni a slog because I was there for four years. Like I said, it wasn't working for me with film studies. They didn't let me into year two of photojournalism because so of you had my... had to start again. I had to start again, which yeah. again was a big commitment. So did you think, right, I'm starting to get, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a... I don't know if you'd call you a mature student. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've already done a year which I didn't want to do. I've got to start that again. Did you think right? This is kind of, this is it now. This is my chance. Was there a sense of that? Huge sense of that, and a huge sense of, um, yeah, just weight on my shoulders, right. and you know, still very much searching for what I was wanting. And I don't know. I think you sort of feel in life there's some thing that you should be sort of doing I'm still very much searching in and around that's probably a big part of my trip as well um, but image making just seemed to be a really important fit um, and I, I'll be honest I was, yeah, I was pretty gutted that I didn't get into film um, the, sure. the, 
the course was far too th- theoretical for me and how I work. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, amazingly, I, I so I did the photojournalism for th- obviously three years. Came out with first class honours. Oh, you did, yeah. Um, oh, that's brilliant. Which, but the key thing um, during the course was again, like most things in life, was the lecture that I met. Um, there was one small um, set of sessions in an aspect of photojournalism and his name was Karin Stowe and we're still in touch, he's a good friend, so all those years ago um, and he basically showed me how I could make a career out of taking pictures um, because he had done that and he was doing that and I always felt it was one of those careers that was um, not meant for me, it was meant for other people, how on earth do you even begin to take pictures and make money? pay your bills and get food it's just like just something that had never particularly come into my way of life um and so he built me out gave me some confidence to work around that and i think we hit it off because i was older right um it's amazing that isn't it that you and i'm not saying it's like that for everyone but you know just that uh even if you've had support in it you know in your life from 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 your your friends and family or whatever um it's just to have that one person who possibly isn't one of your friends or family who's who you can who can guide you or who can you can see has kind of done it you know it's really important isn't it when you're still trying to make your find out what it is you want to do or how you can ever possibly get to do what it is you want to do you know to have somebody i guess the americans would call it a mentor you know whatever but yeah it doesn't always have to be a mentor it's quite a heavy word isn't it just somebody who who like has has done what you think you might want to do you know to see that that it is possible you know um and I guess for them to be a nice person on top of that, you know, that's that's so key. <laughs> and you end up, you go to, you know, we do all these things, we go to university, we do all the, you know, work experience, whatever, But and then the one person, you know, that shows how important that human contact is, doesn't it? It really does. Um, and I think, you know, even those words, that human contact is, I think it's fundamental, certainly in the way I, I work the way I like to work and the few projects he was working on uh, really resonated with me and you know we worked very closely together he and I on my final project which um, you know like in a lot of study areas I, I mean I studied in Southampton we were living in the red light district and you know cheap accommodation um, cheap food cheap accommodation um, good you know bars, whatever, around there, and I did my final project, um, you know, on, on sex workers, street sex workers. Really? And, you know, he guided me through that. It yeah, because that's not uh, an easy topic to kind of just pick up and and cr- create something around, is it? You, you, to have some guidance there is probably pretty important. Yeah, especially looking back at it. Are just unbelievably important um, and I think it was at a time in my life where I was sort of wanting various challenges I wanted to you know wanted to go out to you know the Iraq war and things you know, happening around that period and just get front line um, I just had a bit of something I think going on in my life where I just wanted to get in and, and, and amongst it and but yeah look during that um, project in Southampton, you know, I was chased by pimps. I was um, really uh, joyriders came and just did donuts around my car one night, and you know, threatening me. I, one night, one of the sex workers I was working with, um, she had some of her teeth smashed in, and I had to take her to the hospital, and then got followed and chased by a pimp. So, you know, all a lot of wow. just quite. You know, eye-opening stuff, and I think you know. I think for me, it was something we all think we know about something like you know, you know, sex workers, street sex workers, and, and actually we don't. And it taught me that I don't, 
and I didn't. And I tried to, you know, work with uh, my lecturer as sensitively as possible. And you know, I learned so much from that project. And also, and, and I think, you know, as obviously it's my final project. There's also at a point where I was really looking to make things work financially and career-wise. And unfortunately, cut a long story short, photojournalism just wasn't going to work. There's a tiny number of people who are shooting and making livings in in that arena and I completely respect that and also they really give most of their life to that and I think I was at a point where although I sort of felt quite um, like I just wanted to get stuck in and go away and basically lose myself in work I think I did have a sort of modicum of you know you could really sort of come unstuck here. There were various things happening in the world at that time with photojournalists. Yeah. So yeah, I th uh, I moved up to Sheffield, um, and I got a Princess Trust loan. I st I started taking portraits of people. Um, I was working a lot with um, all kinds of firms in and around Yorkshire, doing their portraiture and architecture of all things okay I loved the remoteness of architecture I could just go to different places throughout the UK and set you know set my camera up and stay over it nights and obviously do dusk shots and things and I think the form of architecture then that with my portrait work and I opened up two studios in Sheffield as well um, and I think so it must have got reasonably successful reasonably quickly is that right yeah, I, I was fortunate. I, I, I went to Sheffield. Um, I think I've sort of done it about three times in my life. Gone to new places, basically with nothing to try and make something happen. You know, the first was Southampton with my study, with no qualifications, um, and I mean they weren't even going to let me on the course the day that we were enrolling, um, and then Sheffield just had a room with my cousin knew no one so built things up from there and then London when I realized although I you know I lived in Sheffield for 11 years um, I love the north of England particularly love Sheffield it was my home I wanted to make it work there I really began to see and realize that you know you, you can't bring the work up there and the teams and things it's all down here all in London so I had to make a very, very long and big decision to make a go of it down here. So I came down here and shot my portfolio in um, a old warehouse in Hackney, typical sort of thing. Uh, I did, luckily I had a good friend there who had a couple of lights and I used his space. And But I'd realised during my time in Sheffield when I was doing portraits that I was, I was working a fair bit with local models, building their portfolios. It was something that I really enjoyed. I find beauty very beautifully intoxicating. You can't really put it into words, but you know it when you see it and you feel it. So beauty and fashion felt like a natural thing for me. I think I've always been obsessed with, not so much obsessed with fashion, but obsessed with how things can look, you know, with a still image or a moving image. Yeah. Um, and that the life that you can bring into, into yeah. the, the work. I mean, it, I think uh, my dad uh, was a photographer, not um, uh, beauty and fashion, um, but but still, you know, he did a lot of portraits, you know, sittings and weddings and a fair amount of commercial stuff as well, you know, similar to your, your um, architecture stuff, I guess. Um, but, yeah, so I've always been kind of surrounded by by photographs um like literally and also kind of i guess metaphorically in terms of being around photographers because his his dad my granddad grandpa was a photographer and so was his dad my dad's grandfather um <clears throat> wow so it really runs in the family yeah 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 so uh <laughs> um and there's just something about a photograph i mean i know you know it's it, you know the, the moving image is 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 amazing as well and we both have worked you know with moving images but there is something about a still image that is potentially more emotive really 
and I th also think it's brilliant that you know that they that you people like you took hundreds maybe even if it's a big shoot thousands and that's the one they've chosen <laughs> I just think there's something really interesting about that you know that's the one um that's that's the the image that promotes that you know product or you know whatever it is but that's the fascinating thing isn't it about image making is that we know we f and that's why we also that's why I do it because we feel it all of this is down to a feeling yeah. and it's that feeling of that is the image like you say it can be 10 images or it can be a couple of hundred images and I think that's why I you know <clears throat> I have fortunately a really good loyal client base but people will hire me because I have to make a very quick decision on the date and know that that is the image so that we move on to the next model the next look whatever it is the next room the next location because it's, yeah you know what it feels like you know when it all comes together you know when all the elements are there that's the one that's the one right move on yeah it's mad isn't it because if you're trying to think of other jobs you know um I, I, you know building a house you know i know it takes it, it has its own problems and 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 it's a no it's i'm not no way making out that it's you know simple but when you've you built the house <laughs> it's finished right and the walls are on the windows are in and the heating works and people are living in it and it's that's you, you know you, you know you've finished when you get to that stage mm. whereas like um an artistic job like taking a photograph there's no rules there's no windows or doors or <laughs> sure <laughs> you can't wait for somebody to go and live in it to be like right or finished yeah. you literally are like at the whim of your own uh i suppose your your yeah your feelings your feelings absolutely and i think you know i'm doing a few personal projects at the moment which is one of them in particular is where people are having they've got long hair um, and they want short hair. I'm working with um, amazing hairdresser um, Tracy Cahoon, who her background is actually she made the wig for Amy Winehouse, and she's worked on you know all, all kinds of stuff. But to wow. work with someone like Tracy, who is an absolute artist, and this process of one of her, f you know, we've done two so far. One's been one of her friend's daughters who was 15 and for her 16th birthday, she wanted all of her hair shaved off. She had a huge amount of hair, so we documented it. And I think that whole process of, of creativity, capturing the process, you have to move quite quickly. So there is a feeling of like, we've got it and we move on, but then, you know, you said earlier that you f have you, you're aware that you see it more with stills I agree to a point but one of my massive passions which is why what I touched on earlier you know I went to study film is I love film I'm obsessed by how you capture that with film that sense of feeling I feel with fe film there's a lot more variables I'm also learning to edit my stuff I know that you had historically edited your stuff because I've been on your website and you know know a little bit about your background and that makes sense you know as a director because you obviously need to understand what's happening afterwards yeah yeah um, I'm I'm loving teaching myself editing but for me it's exactly what you described a minute ago in terms of I find it virtually impossible to find the switch off point as it sorry the, the, the finish point the house built the windows are in and things. yeah because you can do a myriad of stuff and you can yeah. move the clips around you can speed them up you can slow them down you can change the color for some reason I, i'm obsessed with frame by frame so i, I you know open premiere pro in, in that particular window where i go in frame by frame because yeah because i work with models and it's often quite close up um for me that sense of movement and I've often worked with, you know, when we are shooting film directors who make music videos because I, because I like rhythm in beauty. But I think it's, so it feels to me like if I was to learn Japanese, as in <laughs> a huge, huge thing. Yeah. And so many 
facets to it and actually I started it properly I think about four and a half five years ago right the filmmaking side of what I do because I needed to the industry dictated sure, that yeah, two yeah. stills photographers yeah the technology is so good and the um, uh, the kind of access to it which yeah I think actually is kind of an interesting question for you has this talking of how you know us going to university in the sort of 2000s or whatever has this kind of social media explosion how has that affected your work because you know people are so used to images now you know coming you know right in in their bedroom and on the, when they wake up on their looking at their phone you know not just on billboards anymore are they they're not just in magazines they're they're, they're everywhere it's everywhere i mean yeah literally omnipotent imagery is absolutely everywhere and I love the fact that it is but also I love working with clients who do see you know that when you hire good teams and you've got a good concept it will always look you know how that particular brief is meant to look but if you've got someone in who maybe hadn't got the experience or you know the right makeup artist in the right hairstylist you know, fashion stylist, whatever, lit it in the right way. All things like that do, you know, do bring what's necessary into the image. But equally, you know, the UGC, the you know, user-generated content, I get it. I absolutely get it. Um, I think, you know, certainly throughout the pandemic, interesting enough, with especially with moving image. It all felt UGC. All of the brands were doing it, whether they were food brands or clothing brands. In the advert, sometimes you felt like you were watching one advert because within one or two months, they all switched. And I was concerned that that UGC vibe was going to continue, but it hasn't. People do see the merit in getting someone such as yourself. You know, And that's what was lovely that gig that we did towards the end of the year wasn't it you know it felt like there was real respect from the client and the yeah. agency and everything and yeah we did what we needed to do yeah as is the way with all like you know creative jobs it's nice to have a client who's got a bit of money really isn't it because <laughs> we've all done those jobs that the client doesn't have as much money but you kind of it's a bit of a scrimp and it's a bit crap and you know we've all done those jobs right we've all done those jobs I, I also find that those jobs you know we try and limit those taking on those jobs as a studio because sometimes those jobs can really suck time but actually I quite like working sometimes with, with smaller budgets and smaller teams because that can be when I get really or more to the point have to get really creative in how I shoot it, where we shoot it, and the mere fact that we're changing where we're shooting and how we're shooting it, we're getting something pretty cool and exciting. And at the end of the day, I feel really fortunate that I do something that I love and to then bring that extra pressure so that I try and find that excitement, generate that excitement, because as the photographer, it is your responsibility to pull the entire day together. And, and I, I thrive on that responsibility. Um, as you probably saw, you know, when, when we shot together at the end of last year, you know, I'm not shouty, don't have an ego. Everybody is as important on set, whether it's at one end, the client, to the person who brings the teas in and the coffees. Everybody has to go in the one direction, and that is making beautiful pictures. So everybody has to point in that direction as well. So that's my role to make sure everybody is pointing in that direction. Yeah, totally. <clears throat> Sorry, totally. That's 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 how I feel as well. But kind of alongside our commercial pay the bill stuff, which is obviously really important, isn't it? You were telling me about a couple of or one particular passion project that you that you uh, you're working or you have worked on or you're continuing to work on. Both, um, I have worked on and I'm continuing, and that's why it was really important for me. I think you know. <laughs> During this conversation so far, we've talked basically about part of the arena we work in, part, in part of our work, and certainly 
for the campaigns that I shoot, the ad work, um, and some of the other gigs I shoot, I feel we work in quite a privileged arena. Um, and there's a lot of division out there. And, you know, I was brought up in and around various kinds of extreme relative poverty. Um, so it's been something that's always been really important to me. Um, so working in this industry, I just got to a point of, you know, quite a few years ago where I just needed to work, use, use my skills, my talents in photography to somehow put something back in. And I contacted various mental health charities to basically shoot their campaigns, whatever it was, um, you know, free of charge and put something back in, work with them on the brief and what was happening and nothing happened there. And then I came across a charity that was working very closely with what I do. I'm, I shoot a lot of hair, brands, tools, color, whatever it is. And there was Haircuts for Homeless. Okay. It's a charity set up by founder Stuart Roberts, who's a very interesting person in himself. Um, he's now 15 years sober. Um, and he talks very candidly about that. Um, so I reached out to him saying, look, um, I love what you're doing. I've been aware of it for a few years. Do you fancy a cuppa? I'd really like to you know, look at taking portraits um, to help raise awareness of what you do. If you can use them in any way, they're all yours. You know, fill your boots. And just sort of wanted to help with something like yeah. that. So we met, we got on well. Um, he invited me along to one of the biggest projects that they do. So Haircuts for Homeless is a charity that goes to different kinds of homeless shelters throughout the United Kingdom every four to six weeks. Okay. Whether they're street homeless or living in various kinds of sheltered accommodation. Now, there's all nuances of sheltered accommodation from one end we go to... Um, the y YMCA's. Um, the other end, we go to um, female-only shelters, um, and then to trading estates where th there are street homeless that come in and get food and their haircut as well. It's cross completely across the board, and it's a two-hour session where the guests know that they can come. That same two hours, that same date every single month. They don't have to sign up to anything. They don't have to enrol. There's no red tape. There's no nothing. So that was one of the things that really appealed to me was the continuity of this project. It wasn't just a one-hit wonder. And then everybody flashes it over the, the gram. Yeah. We're all bored of that, and it yeah. utterly devalues anything yeah. that's going on. So the mere fact that Stuart and Belinda, his sister... Um, I mean, Stuart's got a background in the hairdressing industry. He had a salon. He fell out of love with that years ago. And so he set up Haircuts for Homeless. So this is an ongoing project for him that he does every day of the week throughout the United Kingdom wow. with Belinda, his sister. And so we started... Well, I started in a session in Whitechapel, which is one of the most kind of volatile sessions. Um... It was so frontline, I didn't take a single picture during that session. Really? Just felt a bit inappropriate. Yeah. You know, Stuart had invited me into the safe place. There were. Did uh, you have, I mean, did you have the camera in your hand or was this before you even got it out of the bag? I got the camera out of the bag, I put it down by my side, and, you know, there was so much going on. You know, I was listening to people's stories, there were a couple of fights. Um, really? There were people who were sitting with some of the support workers who um, hadn't, hadn't eaten, had been on the street for f five nights with no sleep. Um, you know, ha had uh, the clothes that they were wearing, ha hadn't had any medication. Yeah. A lot of mental illness. That's very interesting that as a photographer, you chose not to take a picture because, you know, I suppose well, not suppose there are times when, when you need to know when not to take a picture. Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's really interesting. 
Sorry, carry on. It's, it's quite an interesting. So, so, so the fir- that's the first day you, you didn't take a single picture? Didn't take a single picture. Um, and, you know, I, I've got a child. Freddie's now um, over four and a half. He started school and one of the guests was chatting to the, one of the volunteer hairdressers and I was ve- I was like three feet away. So you're very, you're very in these people's lives, okay? You're in a small room with a lot going on and a lot of people having their hair cut and you're very you know, aware of the conversations. And this guy was sat having his hair cut and he said to the hairdresser, you know, because they just got chatting, a lot of the guests don't want to speak, that's fine. Yeah. Some of them are really chatty. I haven't spoken to anyone sometimes for days, weeks, or felt safe, yeah. or or eaten or drunk. Some of them go to sleep because they're being touched, yeah. um, and that whole you know sense of care that is really human prerequisite. So yeah, um, this guy was talking about how he was going down to Brighton that day for an interview. He'd got enough money from a local authority to see social services down there as a final interview to gain access to his son that he hasn't seen for six years. Oh my God. So you start to see and appreciate the power of a haircut. Yeah, yeah, definitely. In terms of, you know, in one way, a haircut's a haircut and it's like, oh, you know, and we all have them. Yeah. You know, so many people, they can't afford them or they're scared to or just anyway so this this person's story just really resonated because I have a child and I've been fortunate enough to see Freddie pretty much every day of his life yeah we've only got the one we're only going to have the one so I think being around stories like this of the human condition and the I guess the sense of loss in people's lives as well of you know, it's so long since he's had access to his son. It's the, it's the last hurdle, or, or, or you know, whatever's going on in his life and things. So, I think you know the charity really does more than cut people's hair. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a hair, as you said, a, hair, a haircut can be you know more than just getting your hair cut, can't it? You know. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it is really interesting actually uh, when you you look into society and you look at these things that we do all the time, yeah. you know, and we just kind of weirdly take for granted, right? You take, take for, for granted, granted a, a haircut, you know, yeah. because you don't appreciate the moment, you know, that it's, that, that, that it's giving you, you know, you're sitting down, you're, you know, well, obviously they're all different. And I'm, I, 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 I bet that your, uh, your friend who's, who, who set this up? Did you say he's called Freddie? Uh, my boy's oh, Freddie boy's Stewart. Stuart. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I imagine he's a, you know, a probably a very lovely person to have your hair cut by. You know, I bet he's a very sort of welcoming hairdresser. You know, and so, so when you, when, when all those things come together, a moment, you know, which just happens, you know, a functional moment of everyone's life becomes for as you said these these people um who 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 don't have a lot or sometimes don't have anything um a golden moment in their month maybe month or year you know we've had people burst into tears after having their hair cut because it's the first time they've had their hair cut some of them for year, literally for years really um and all been touched or felt safe listened to loved there's there that is you know a lot of love in these sessions yeah. and I know that could sound really tree huggery and things but it's absolutely not the respect the integrity that happens in there we do a particular session in the east of England and a lot of the people that come to that session have just come out of prison right male and female we yeah. have male in the morning female in the afternoon because the session uh, the safe place works like that and just seeing people's lives and you know it it is genuinely still heartbreaking that last time I was there there's one shower and they were queuing up for showers and people do not have clean clothes they were just putting their clothes on afterwards or people hadn't eaten for days and local sandwich makers were bringing in 
you know, plates of food and people understandably would take in whatever they could. Yeah. Uh, or, you know, the, the lovely thing about this particular session is that they come in, they get their hair cut, but they can sit down and have a cup of tea for that whole two hours where some of the sessions you're a bit in, you know, straight in and out. You know, Brighton's extremely busy, Manchester and things. But yeah, I think these sessions are so important and they help humanise the face of homelessness. Yeah. But they give a real, just, you know, it is just more than a haircut and yeah. seeing how these people's lives and the fact that it's regular, that's so important in this because so many systems that are set up are either set up to fail because of all the paperwork people have to go through. God knows how everything's happening with, you know, people in the current system now who are, I can hardly read any of these and understand any of these forms. So if you've come from a different country, yeah. and if England, uh, English isn't your first language. So anyway, uh, I think Haircuts for Homeless is a really important charity. They lost a lot of their funding um, three years ago um, from the National Lottery. And totally understandably, the National Lottery had helped fund them for five years. They, they, they have a, you know, a cycle. Yeah. So Stuart and I sat down and we um, talked about basically getting a book together of sure. portraits. Okay, and that's where you come in? Exactly. So obviously it was only whenever we got um, consensual um, forms signed from the guests. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, we set about travelling more around the United Kingdom, going to more sessions, getting more content for the book. Um, and we had a crowd funder. Um, we raised, I think, about twenty-eight, thirty thousand wow, pounds in the crowd funder. Yeah, it was amazing because you know books aren't. We we did it with another hairdresser uh, called Lee Keats. He's a session hairdresser. Lee's been volunteering for the charity, for, I don't know, six-ish years. Um, so between Lee, Stuart, and myself, we pulled this book together. Is this it here? It is, Can yeah. I it? yeah I'm While a, you're talking about I'll it, have a flick through. Um, <coughs> sorry, excuse me. Um, that particular guest on the front cover, yeah, that's her hair looks... um, on the front, and then that's before shot on the back. Um, she'd been attacked What's... a month before that picture take was taken by a group of kids. She was busking, she was attacked with scaffold poles, her guitar was smashed, her mouth organ. They smashed her fingers. Really? That's horrible. So she was at a point where she needed a haircut, and yeah, the, the guys gave her. You know, a lot I mean, of love it is amazing. So on the back, um, she's. You know, you. She's sitting, um, shoulders slightly hunched, yeah. and pretty, pretty scraggly hair, and you know the kind of sullen eyes I suppose and she she, you know she doesn't look happy if yeah. I'm honest and then you've got this great one on the front she's smiling her hair looks great and much more kind of sat up um, I guess kind of at eye level with the, with the camera mm -hmm. and uh, yeah it's a lovely photo I mean I can see why you put it on the front Thank you. Yeah, it, and it just it helps encompass what the charity is about. Um, you know that that transformation element is big. We had um, we had a very big hairdresser do one of the forwards for the book. A guy called Sam McKnight. He talks very eloquently on the video that we made for the crowdfunder about the transformation of a haircut. Yeah. Um, and our other ambassador was um, an actor called Lena Headey. She's in. Game of Thrones and she's very big and she's been really supportive of the book so yeah I think um, we, we we needed to act very fast and pull that book together yeah and I was going to ask you actually more, more about the kind of um, um, logistics I suppose you know how how, um, how did you did you set up a kind of mini studio so you, they're they're having a, their haircuts done here, and then you're you kind of get to know them, and then then you kind of talk them into having their photo taken, or can they see that they're going on and does some, how how did it work? 
Yeah, good question. Um, what we do, so between Stuart, Belinda and myself, and there's other volunteers, we basically have a very clear you know, understanding of, of each other's role when someone comes into the room. Um, Belinda, Belinda's very, uh, I'm six foot six, I'm tall, I'm white and I'm male. You know, it's not the coolest, easiest look at the moment, okay? So, um, you know, Belinda... At is, least I'm not tall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Belinda's got a lovely, lovely softness to her, so she, she'll just chat to the guest. Yeah. And then, in time, ask the guest if they would, how they feel about having their pictures taken. Um, and the guest either says yes or no. Belinda gives me a thumb, thumbs up if it's a yes. And then they sign the form. And then very, very slowly, you know, I let the guests sit down, talk to the volunteer hairdresser, um, which is sometimes Stuart, one of the other volunteers. And before I've taken a picture, I'll assess what I can do and what I can't do. And I'll do that over a period of time because you know, even though I've got the thumbs up, I'll never ever start taking a picture until, you know, because obviously sometimes I'm sat behind the guest and I'll slowly walk around quite a, a space in front of them, um, wait for my, what I feel is a nice... This while they're having their hair done. Yeah, hair done. Yeah. And if they're either a regular guest, someone we've met before, or they're definitely up for it, um, Belinda will say that Jack's got a little... So, so I have like a, a Lasterlite white sheet so that's basically a, a pop-up you know you, you'll know but just in case if anyone's listening so it's a, it's a pop-up big white sheet lent against the wall I have no lighting I shoot it all on a little camera and I, I personally and creatively I absolutely adore that challenge right. of working with the available light yeah and we've been in some brutal I was gonna say you're at the whim of the whatever light is there great <laughs> Love it, yeah, love it, cool. and again, because of technology, um, I'm able to shoot on really you know significant you know, ISOs, large ISOs. So, if we are really low light, um, so I'll have just pop this up, I'll have done any of that kind of prep before the session begins, so sure. there's no surprises, and I'll introduce myself and I'll gauge it. And if they're cool, as in if they're sort of you know, chilled with my approach, I will just gently start taking a few pictures of the cut. And if they're okay with a before shot, they'll come over with me, stand in front of this white disc, do three th frames max, come back down, yeah. and start getting the haircut. And then after the haircut, they'll do an after shot. And sometimes during their their haircut, which can take anything up to sort of half an hour, um, there's some really nice sort of you know just documentary kind of photography to capture yeah of the interaction the fun the banter um there's a lot of banter in these sessions sure. there's a lot of brilliant dark humor as well yeah. some of the guests you know really candid stories lee was came around with us for a lot of sessions and lee would write down what was being said right. and we'd get permission to print that in the book as well sure we haven't printed any of the text that is anchored to any of the guests. It's all sporadics and it all okay. isn't connected because we didn't want to anchor yeah. anything to that particular guest. Right, right, right. But you thought that those were important moments or or stories to tell. As you say, you didn't want to anchor it to a certain person. Yeah. Because, why? Because you think that would take away from the, 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 the power of the imagery or because you just didn't, you thought it was unfair to... To, to say this person said this more the latter we just felt because of the nature of homelessness we just didn't want to connect to we didn't feel it necessary yeah um and i think you know what was interesting about this whole project that we had to be very careful and this example of how we talked about how we laid the text out and we worked with a really amazing book designer we, I just felt as you know, what as white middle class, you know, be be really careful of not falling into the um, the poverty porn. Yeah, trap is such an easy thing to do. Yeah. Oh, so so and so has had so and so happen to them, 
And actually, do you know what? A lot of these people's um, stories are, you know, are really funny moments. Um, you know, I'm just flicking through here. Um, you know, let me just try and find one. I mean, most of the book um, is pictures. Let me just find one. Um, I had egg and avocado for breakfast and got salmon and sweet potato for dinner in it. I think I got this accent in prison. Um, so this was someone who... Oh, you right. Know, yeah, that's brilliant, isn't it? Came along to one of the sessions. One of the local sandwich people made some sandwiches up. So they had that. And then this is someone else. I've been clean for a year. And I'm half... Sorry. I've been clean for, clean for a year and a half. And now I'm pregnant. Only five weeks. But I've even stopped smoking. So you get a real insight into yeah. just people's lives yeah really cool it's really interesting i mean I, it's a beautiful book and like you said it is it is you know been laid out really really nicely um thank you where can people get a copy of that if they want to so on the website haircuts for homeless yeah um and maybe as part of your podcast if there's any sort of yeah we'll put a link in the description link, for sure 100 yeah 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 um, you can get it online there yeah um all proceeds, well, all the, the, the entire lot um, now, because obviously with the crowdfunder, we built up money to get the whole print run done. Yeah. Um, and all the money that went you know, above and beyond went straight back into charity. So basically, whenever you buy a book now, while while that whole amount goes in. That's amazing. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, I mean, it's um, it's brilliant, and I love it. And uh, you know, I I thank I, you. I will. Uh, I think it's inspiring actually to anybody who you know I think the reason I wanted to do this podcast was to to show people about the world of work you know perhaps people who were at the beginning maybe they were struggling a bit like you were in, in your early 20s not not being able to do what you, what you wanted to do but actually what's interesting about that is that <clears throat> people who are already in the world of work who are p potentially quite successful you know but are feeling a little bit um uh, jaded is that the right word or they're just yeah. not sure what the next challenge could be you know I think it's really inspiring to, to know that there's always things out there that you can get involved with isn't there there really there? is you know it doesn't have to be getting you know getting the next corporate job or whatever it is that you do you know there's always things you can do to help other people you know and it's either it's high haircuts for homeless or it's you know talking to that family member that's maybe a little bit estranged or w whatever it is that you know it you really need to is, do. it's taking action that's the fundamental thing isn't it and that's why haircuts for homeless appealed so much to me there is a, a call to action there and you know i think you're right you know if if we have a friend or a family member who is just you know we've all and certainly i've been there um <coughs> You, know, you just need to reach out to that person, have some action, but then you know also, depending on what's going on in your life, maybe you can put an hour or two into something each month, whatever it is. What and I think that's what's really important as well. Whatever it is that we do to help look after each other again, without being anything sort of too preachy at all, is is that something that you care about and you wanna? But I think having action. Is, is so important and I just think you know we're just in this you know I've sort of really felt and hoped and I think to a point it has but after Covid that we would be more um, there would be more care towards each other yeah and but I think care is a really interesting word in terms of you know it's really good and it's okay to take care of ourselves yeah because then you know we are in a better place to do things yeah like this project but equally you know I think but if we can you know whatever it is you do if you're an accountant if you're a builder you know, whatever you know I think and pe people po probably do this anyway but I think if you are getting a bit um, you know if you are feeling like work's a bit stale that you have a set of skills don't you one has a set of skills absolutely and they they can be you know, you can, people will want those, you know, skills. Every time there's something, <laughs> absolutely. You know, and uh, 
I think that's really important to remember that you have value, right? You know, mm. one has value. We might be quite bored of our jobs at, at, at sometimes, but um, they're not boring to other people, and they're also probably pretty important to other people, people that may not be able to access your job, you know. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and there are people who aren't working as well, and yeah. equally, you know, I'm sure there are, you know, there's lots of other forms of making a difference and it's it's just about small amounts of time and, and actually doing something rather than just saying oh yeah I'm going to do that you know I just get so bored when I hear oh I, I'm going to do that I could do that it's like <laughs> three months six months time that person hasn't done anything it's just like yeah. don't say it in the first place yeah yeah I think we should probably wrap up there is that alright yeah, yeah yeah um, I've just got a couple of sort of fun things at the end what I'd like to ask everyone is two things what do you well what do you most like and what do you most dislike about your job i think what we're going to do is we'll start with most dislike and then and then and then go to most like so that we've got a bit of end on a bit of a positive because um i've done in another one i did we did the other way around and it we had to kind of like build it up again (laughs) (laughs) so fair enough so first of all what, what what do you find most challenging you know what do you most dislike what are the difficult things about what you do I think the biggest challenge and the most important thing in what I do is the people that I do it with. The team is absolutely everything. Um, I've got a phenomenal studio manager, Mary, um, and I feel really lucky to have found her. So I think it's, you know. So you're saying it's challenging finding the right people? It's challenging finding the right people, right. and obviously, like, I've got a team of assistants as well their careers progress so they start shooting for themselves and I completely get and I support that but then of course you have to find <laughs> someone else um, to fill that role so I think the the difficult the difficulty is and I can't put enough sort of credence in the importance of, of your team and people um, but then that's also maybe sort of double-edged you know it's also actually a real positive because I get to work with beautiful you know some really beautiful people and you know really you know people that care about what they're doing and do it with love you know come to meet you we're sat here now I mean that's you know that's a real joy um I was really made up when you said oh you know come along and um you know before we first shot together like I said I checked your your grandma out there seemed to be like a you know nice amount of connection there as well so I I think in terms of like the best aspect it's it's also linked, you know. You just get to work with some incredible people. <laughs> That's great. So the most difficult, challenging, and the the most uh, rewarding and exciting thing about what you do is is working with people. Yeah. That's great. That's a really nice answer. Right. F- finally, uh, we've got the uh, do a bit of work for us feature, which is where we get our guests to do a bit of what it is they do um, and uh, you are a photographer so you are going to take a photograph you're going to take a photograph of me I'll happily take what? a picture of you what? Simon yeah is that is that uh, I just slagged off people with egos and now I'm getting you to take a picture of me but <laughs> I don't know <laughs> um, so yeah <clears throat> what we got there then so what I'm going to do first of all is I just want I think it's for anyone who obviously you can't see this we're just sat opposite a couple of tables we've got a nice big recording desk here which you know I think Simon's just dialed it back and we've got these two mics in front of us which is really nice and I'm just going to do a very nice couple of little portraits because what's in front of me is really lovely and it just (laughs) says a bit about where we are microphones the water that I've been drinking throughout and hopefully isn't messing too much up I'm just changing my positions <clears throat> what do you want me to do am I, am I just you're just nat- chill act naturally yeah I always think of that Beatles song <laughs> yeah <laughs> I know that, I that's a famous one when a photographer says relax <laughs> <laughs> look relaxed oh. Oh my god, what does looking relaxed look like? Oh yeah, I'm not very good at doing that. But you are making me feel quite relaxed, so good, hopefully, good. yeah, we're good. 
And that is us done. What an easy subject you are. Oh, Lovely. Thank you, mate. That's brilliant. Okay, well, look, that's it for uh, Good Job Podcast with Jack Eames. Um, that was really awesome. Thank you so much for your time. I had a really, really good chat. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. And that was awesome. So, uh, so yeah, see you later. Cheers, sir. And there we go. Thanks so much to Jack for coming on. It was a really great chat and I really uh, really enjoyed talking to Jack. Um, it's so interesting to see, I think, how a person's career develops over time. And it's really, really great to see how Jack's influences and his personal feelings have kind of helped shape his career. Um, I've put a link in the description to Jack's website, as well as also a link to the Haircuts for Homeless project that we, we kind of did a deep dive into um, and there's details there as well, uh, as well how you can get hold of a copy of that really beautiful book uh, if you do so desire. Right, more from me in the Good Job podcast to come. But for now, thanks so much for listening and see you later. Good job, guys. Mm-hmm.